Hey everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to slash watching One Cross Radio, and today we are rejoined by nobody. It's just me. Uh, for no real reason, other than I wanted to do this topic and I couldn't get a guest today. Uh, but it is one I will talk about with people uh, another time. But I did want to uh, start off with two specific shoutouts before we get into it. Uh, our good friends over at Redeemed Otaku have a YouTube channel and they're now, start now? now starting to put content on there more frequently. So be sure to check them out. Just hit up Redeemed Otaku at YouTube. If you Google search it, it'll show up and I'll attach the link in the description. Uh, the other channel I wanted to shout out on YouTube is Up From The Depths. Uh, this channel, this team, I don't know if it's one cat. It's always one person narrating. Uh, but I don't know if he's got a team of people involved and I'm not trying to burn anybody. Anyways, uh, this this channel uh, does great reviews of the entire Godzilla series. And now they've moved into the, the Gamera series. Uh, so if you want to check those out, even if you don't ever want to sit down and watch the movies, but you want to learn like, hey, what was the reception? What do fans think of these? Most of the reviews are short. The longest is 20 minutes. The average is five to eight. Uh, it's a really, really good channel. So check them out. Uh, Up from the depths on YouTube. I'll attach that link as well. Uh, so today's topic is one I actually did a post about on the 2099 One Cross Street website a while ago, uh, but Jill and I have been moving through the Star Wars movies um, over the past couple weeks. We watched the anti-cheese cuts of the prequels, which make them much more watchable. Um, we just watched Empire Strikes Back last night, and then tomorrow or another time or sometime soon we're gonna we're gonna watch jedi uh i really want to watch rogue one i also really i i dig solo so i want to revisit it uh we'll see if we if we do we'll probably do the force awakens but most likely not the last jedi since it's is garbage um fight me steve we're gonna fight about this sometime soon sir because i know you listen uh and then of course we're Plug for eventually Steve and I will be doing a podcast on uh, the upcoming Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, which drops uh, the weekend before this episode gets posted. Uh, and another episode I'll be doing at some time soon is uh, just kind of a thoughts and reviews on the past four movies I've seen. Um, I've seen Godzilla, King of the Monsters. We saw Aladdin, we saw X-Men Dark Phoenix, and we saw friggin' Men in Black International. I was going to do an episode strictly on Godzilla, uh, but that time has passed, and now I, I think I'm going to do one on the four of those. Um, yeah, anyways, so today's topic proper, we are looking at uh, some of my favorite elements from the former Star Wars Expanded Universe, which is now called Legends. Uh, when Disney bought Lucasfilm in 2014, at first they weren't commenting on any of this. They weren't saying what was what, but then they decided that they were going to end the expanded universe as it was. Uh, it was now no longer continuity, and then they were rolling forward with their with their own continuity, which I know a lot of people were upset about. And in some aspects, I still am. Uh, I, I miss these things being canon uh, because there were some really, really good stories there. There were some really great characters. Uh, but I get it at the same point. There were certain things that happened in the expanded universe that Lucas had okayed. 
um, because for anything involving like a major character dying, George Lucas had to give his approval. Um, and at one point, Chewbacca was killed, and that was either there doesn't seem to be much middle ground. That was either loved or hated. Um, and with Disney coming back, they're go they're going to want to bring back Chewie. So I, I can understand that. And then also they are going to want a clean slate so they don't have to worry about friggin' like 20 plus years of stuff that have been going on in books, video games, comics, just so much. Um, that it cleans the slate and then they can they can kind of go through and cherry pick uh to see you know what i want to lift that i want to lift or lift elements of that but put my own spin on it so i understand why they did that um but but i do miss the the expanded universe um because it it, it was really solid now don't get me wrong, there were a lot of bad aspects about the Expanded Universe. An example comes from friggin' the, uh, the, like, what gets held up as, like, almost the gold standard of the Expanded Universe is the, the Thrawn trilogy, also known as the Heir to the Empire trilogy. Um, and a lot of people were thinking, like, this is what the unmade sequels to the unmade sequel trilogy is. Um, and there is so much good in there. There really, really is. But then when you want to point to stuff where the expanded universe gets wacky or weak sauce, you can point to there as well. Um, an example being there's, uh, there's two clones in the, in the, I almost said movie, in the book. One is Joris Seaboth, um, who at first doesn't know he's a clone, and then they, they unpack it as he go as he starts to get more crazy. Uh, and the difference is the difference in the spelling of the clone is it adds like an extra O or something. Uh, but then where it gets really uh, wacky doodle is uh, he clones Luke Skywalker from Luke's hand that he lost at uh, at Bespin in Empire and this clone is Luke with two U's because um, Luke in the book refuses to become Seaboth's apprentice uh, once he realizes yo you're you're a dark side mad clone you're 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 bad you're bad news um, yeah it's it that part is weak, but the rest of the story introduces a lot of good aspects to the expanded universe and stuff going forward. It brings in Mara Jade, Mara Jade, eventually Mara Jade Skywalker, who becomes a great, awesome female character. Um, it introduces that Han and Leia are are getting married soon and and gonna have kids. Uh, in the EU, Han and Leia have three kids. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, it's just the expanded universe, as much as I love it, it is a mixed bag. I, I need to recognize that, and, and fans should recognize it. Uh, but anyway, I, what I've got is a list of my top ten favorite things from the former expanded universe, now known as the Legends. So I'm going to share that with you guys now. Um, I don't have a fun uh, announcer to do like number ten, so I'm going to do it. So, number 10, the Heir to the Empire Thrawn trilogy, as well as the Dark Empire trilogies of novels and comics. Uh, the reason I love these so much is that they really kick-started the expanded universe. Uh, 
Now, don't get me wrong, there had been older Expanded Universe stories. Um, I can't remember the title exactly, so please forgive me. I'll attach it in the description. But the earliest story came out in, uh, I think, 86. Um, Splinter of the Mind's Eye or something? Anyways, there and there were the, the Droids cartoons and the Ewoks cartoons and the Ewoks movies. But the, the Heir to the Empire trilogy became number one bestsellers and showed that there was still an audience and uh, at least a big Star Wars fan base uh, that would that would read this stuff. If this hadn't worked, then there wouldn't be the rest of the expanded universe. Uh, at the same time, there was the Dark Empire trilogy of comics, which also was a big success with Dark Horse. Uh, and they were some of the first stories that got to be told post-Jedi, involving Han, Leia, Luke, Lando, everybody. Uh, there were some, as mentioned earlier, there were some really good things, and there were some less good things. Uh, in Dark Empire, it, Luke falls to the dark side, um, and it turns out Palpatine's alive through, through clones. And at first, this is a really cool idea, but it kind of gets played to diminishing returns, Palpatine in the expanded universe had clones upon clones upon clones. Uh, it really does make sense for his character. And actually, that reminds me, part of what inspired me to want to talk about this was just like in the upcoming Rise of Skywalker, at the end of the trailer, you hear Palpatine's laugh. And originally, they were like, no, Palpatine dead, Palpatine dead. Uh, and it was the expanded universe, which is like, no, he, he came back. Uh, so... Yeah, it's interesting that the movies are starting to do that. I don't know if they're going to... I doubt they'll do it a clone. It might be like a Sith spirit, like a, a ghost. But we'll see. Um, but the... Yeah, the Dark Empire series brought in... Like, brought back Palpatine, told Luke almost falling to the dark side. Uh, he started to. And then friggin' uh, like Leia helped bring him back. And then showed the fallout of like post-Jedi where... At the end of Jedi, everything seems all hunky-dory, but you see, like, no, it's still an uphill battle for the Rebels. The big the big guns of the Empire are gone, but it's still, like, a small group trying to overthrow a galaxy-wide military force. It's not going to just drop like that. Uh, wow, wow, my voice is cracking. Um, so then, as, as the story goes on, like I said... The downside is it keeps showing Palpatine like dying and then coming back, dying and coming back. It starts to lose its effect. Like you're like, yes, I know he's a master strategist, but it, it loses its impact. Um, but it's still both of these stories. If they were not the successes they were, we would have not gotten the rest of the expanded universe. Uh, number nine. Number nine is the Sun Crusher. Um, it's something from the, uh, sorry, I'm just looking for the name. I had it written down. Uh, Kevin J. Anderson's Jedi Academy trilogy. So one thing that the expanded universe really did get a lot of fair criticism for was its seeming obsession, uh, through Palpatine and the Empire with super weapons. Um, Heck, debatably, the movies have gotten that criticism because the friggin' Death Star shown up like four times. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. The Star Killer base was the Death Star. Uh, 
And then in the U, though, it's on an entirely different level. There was the first Death Star, the second Death Star, uh, the Death Star prototype, which is in this trilogy of novels, the Eye of Palpatine, the Galaxy Gun, gun the Eclipse, the Darksaber, the World Devastators, and more. Heck, look up on Wikipedia, the Star Wars Wiki, uh, Super Weapons. It has its own very long page. Um, so it does get played to diminishing returns again. It's just like friggin' A, another super weapon? Like, not, not even the good friggin' A. But one that I personally loved was the Sun Crusher. Now, for some people, they're, they're like, this is the epitome of what was wrong with the uh, obsession with super weapons in the expanded universe. And, and I get it. Uh, it is overpowered to a ridiculous degree. It's got uh, something that's called quantum crystalline armor, which is an incredibly rare uh, mineral thing that makes the ship virtually indestructible. Which can be boring, and I get why people don't like it, but I kind of dug it. Um, I what I love, and it also had uh, something called resonance torpedoes, uh, which had a which had a chemical compound in it. Basically, what the Sun Crusher would do would f it's a small small ship man can be manned by a single pilot. Uh, it would fly into a system. Fire its uh, its torpedoes into the sun of that system, and then, due to the chemical chemical compound on it, it would set off a chain reaction that would cause the star to supernova, and then it would destroy entire systems instead of just single planets. Uh, heck, it, you saw kind of that a little bit. You know how I said cherry pick? Uh, they kind of did that with the Star Killer base, where the Star Killer base wipes out systems be it with a Death Star super laser, instead of a single planet. Um, but what I really liked about the Sun Crusher was the idea of the Death Star is a symbol of fear. Uh, you, but you see that, that sucker coming. You know it's on the way. Uh, you've got time to rally a fight and or friggin' flee. But with the idea of the Sun Crusher... Uh, even when you take away the it's it's friggin uh, plot armor <laughs> uh, or it's uh, crystalline armor, like it flies into a, a, a single small fighter isn't gonna set off many warnings. It flies into the system, it does its torpedo thing, and then it wipes out billions of lives unnoticed. And that to me is much more interesting and much more scary. It's the, it's the fear factor of, is this coming? When is it coming? We won't know. That, to me, is a much more terrorizing attack than just, like, we're going to throw the Death Star at you. Because you know that's coming. With this thing, you don't know when or if it'll strike. And if it has, are you too late? You don't really get any warnings. Unless, like in the book, friggin' Kip Durin just, after he does it, he's like, yo, I did this, because Kip fell to the dark side, x Coon, all that. Um... Yeah, it's and also like friggin' reading as a kid, uh, a ship that can fly through the bridge of a star destroyer unscathed. That's pretty awesome, and it also took uh, a shot from the Death Star prototype, uh, but the prototype had the super laser at full power, and that's normally a KO blow. Um, and seeing it take that and it only like take out like a quarter to half the health. That's 
That's pretty cool. I mean, I get it. Again, I know it's it's overpowered, uh, but I love the idea the idea of it. it's 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 terrorizing, um, and it the fear that it can instill, knowing like something like this is out there, but you don't know when or if it's going to strike. To me, that's much scarier and in line with uh, the Tarkin doctrine of Star Wars, where it's fear uh, overpowers everything. Um, I would love to see. I would have loved to see it or elements of it uh, implemented into the into the current trilogy, but we're not going to do that. And and I get it, and that's that's fair. Uh, number eight was the uh, the Force Unleashed games, uh, and specifically the character of Galen Merrick and its his clone Starkiller. Uh, the games were what they were. Uh, they were a heck of a lot of fun to play. I mean, this, especially for the second one, the stories were too short. Uh, the gameplay was debatably really repetitive. But you would never have ne- had never gotten and have yet to get again a character who just used the Force in such a way. Uh, Galen was intended to be a photo negative of Luke Skywalker. It was, what if Darth Vader, at his like dark sidiest had an apprentice? Um, and he taught... Galen to use the force as a weapon. Uh, Galen was using the force as a friggin' uh, wrecking crew uses a wrecking ball. Like, he would like you're using the lightning you're disintegrating people. Uh, Limbs are flying off when lightsabers are cutting. Like The force choke would be on like five dudes and force repulse would send people flying and like he he delighted in using his powers in this way and it was it was a lot of fun to play and then as the character grew in the first one he became a he became a good character uh and then he died sacrificially at the end um the second game you're left wondering the whole time they later confirmed that it was a clone but you are a clone of Galen Merrick, but you don't know that at the time. You're told you are, but you've got memories of things that you shouldn't as a clone. Uh, clones shouldn't have force powers when the original character does. So there, there was a lot of good story aspects to the second one. The series was frustratingly left hanging because uh, Disney shut down LucasArts. So we never got the third story to wrap it up because the way that ends... Friggin' the characters are on their way to Yavin with Vader as a prisoner, and you have no idea how he gets out. Um, it, like, friggin' finish it in a comic or something. Uh, number seven is the Rogue Squadron series for Nintendo. Uh, for me, this is very nostalgic. Uh, the first game on N64 was great. Uh, the second and third games on GameCube were awesome. The only kind of misfire in uh rogue squadron 3 rebel strike or is it rogue leader i think it's rogue leader um is the missions where you are running around on the floor out of a ship that aspect of it was hard to control and less fun to replay um but what made these games so much fun was the combination of levels that battles that we had seen in the movies um the death star trench run always great to play the Battle of Hoth, so much fun. Each one evolved the platform with it. Um, and even like Battle of Endor in the second one, you didn't do the Death Star part, or did you? Um, right, yeah, you did. I can't remember. Uh, and I played it not too long ago. Um, 
but the, yeah, the Battle of Endor, like it had so much replayability, but it also added in battles that you didn't know about or had been hinted at in the in the books and in the comics but hadn't been expanded upon so there was a lot of stuff reasons to go back you got to play as every rebel ship um the v-wing that they introduce in friggin uh the the dark empire comics you get to play it you're battling against the world devastators something that again introduced in the comic uh, you get to play as the Naboo Starfighter. Friggin', I remember as a kid being so excited when you learned of the cheat code to play as the Naboo Starfighter. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Episode 1, but I've always liked that ship. And it was a fun ship to play as. It did get loose with the continuity of stuff a little bit. Um, I mean, because you're, you're getting to replay with ships and that used weapons that the ships never used. So in Rogue Squadron 3, you get to, you in one level, you're facing off against Imperials, you crash land on Geonosis, there's freaking battle droids still active, which wouldn't happen. Um, and then you find, Wedge finds a Jedi Starfighter and flies around in it, and the Jedi Starfighter has one lasers, which that era of Jedi Starfighter in Attack of the Clones had no weapons. Uh, and then it also had the seismic charges things that friggin' Slave 1 used um, in Attack of the Clones, which it wouldn't. Um, so it got fast and loose with stuff at, at, in the replay, but it was fun, so uh, you're willing to overlook it. I mean, the seismic charges in that game are so much fun to use, friggin' A. Um, I do wish this series was still going. I would love it if a non-lame Battlefront remake was happening Number six, uh, the Yuuzhan Vong. So this is, again, one that kind of somewhat divides the fan base, but I, I like it. And for me, this is more of a case of liking what something represents more than what we necessarily got. Um, so I'm going to unpack that. Uh, the Yuuzhan Vong, uh, Vong War was an event that tied all the titles in the expanded universe, uh, the franchise, together. It shook things up. It, uh, Chewie, Anakin Solo, and other characters died. Coruscant, uh, Coruscant sorry, was destroyed. It gave the Jedi an enemy that wasn't the Sith, and they, they struggled against because the, the Vong were absent from the Force um, because they, they, they came from a, a different galaxy, they are a warrior race um, that actually took inspiration from the Aztecs. Um, and one of their high up people at the time uh, realized, like, if they ever realize their connection to the Force, like, they're going to use this terribly. So it essentially removed them from the Force. So they are absent from the Force. So a lot of Force powers do not work on them. Uh, the Jedi can't sense them, can't sense their intention. Uh, they also had weapons and armor that were resistant to lightsabers. Uh, it gave the New Republic an enemy that wasn't someone just trying to reunify the Empire. Um, so it really shook the stories up and broke them out of the repeating cycle that they had been in. Um, because the EU was very very like star wars as i've said in the past is very cyclical uh it like things happen in in beats they really do go in a circle this changed that uh for a while and i really really dug that i i liked that it was like let's shake up 
the status quo because the, the sales were going down a bit interest was less now did the did the story go on too long absolutely uh was it flawed 100 percent it was the execution perfect no no was there some really good stuff there though absolutely I know some people, again, don't like that Chewie died, but they didn't even do it in a way where it was like the Vaughn killed... It wasn't like on Star Trek where it's like, oh, hey, let's... To show how strong a character is, let's have Worf get thrown across the room. Like, the Vong did something that caused the moon to, like, go out of orbit and fall on a planet, and Chewie died making sure Anakin and others got away on the Falcon. Um, his death, like... It, his last description before he dies is as the moon's entering the atmosphere, he's like roaring defiantly at it, which is very, uh, to me, a very chewy thing. Uh, I know some people don't dig it and they think it's stupid, but I'll, I'll respectfully disagree. Um, but the thing is, it really gave the expanded universe a kick in the pants. Uh, there were some really, really good stories coming forward after this. Also some bad ones. Uh, we'll call a spade a spade. It wasn't perfect. But there was some really good things to come out of it. I like that they were trying something new. Um, yeah, yeah. The Yuzong Vong, I, I dig. At one point, they were going to include them in the Clone War show uh, without going into their backstory. Um, but they they were going to include hints of them, and I, and I like that. Um, we're going to get into it in another bit later, but... What I liked with the Vong is they, they've they been here a while. In the books, they show up on Moss, but they had been covertly in, in for a while. And further things expanded on that. Number five is uh, the Legacy comic. Um, so Star Wars Legacy took place something like 136 years after Return of the Jedi. So... I've talked about it before, but the thing I really, really liked about it was taking having it take place that far away from Jedi really removes it and it gets to tell its own story. Uh, again, Star Wars stories are cyclical, so the Jedi are almost wiped out by a returning Sith. There is a rebellion. There is an empire. Uh, that stuff happens. It's, it's borderline Star Wars' bread and butter. Um, it's ingrained in the DNA, basically. Um, but you got introduced to some really cool new characters. You got Kate Skywalker, who is, like, who is a descendant of Luke's, who after his father, uh, father dies and the Jedi Order is borderline wiped out, he becomes a bounty hunter. He's addicted to death sticks. He's trying to numb himself from the Force. And he's actually handing in Jedi over to the, uh, over to the the Sith Empire on bounties like he he's a rough dude but he slowly comes back uh, you're introduced to so many other interesting and cool characters you see where like where the galaxy's at you've you're introduced to the first proper group of gray Jedi uh, the Imperial Knights the Sith in this are very different than the Sith we've got before Darth crate is the borderline opposite of Palpatine, not in the sense of being a master strategist, but Palpatine was very much an very much an adherent to Darth Bane, who was originally brought up in the expanded universe and is canon. Um, 
he was very much a Palpatine was an an adherent of Darth Bane's rule of two. Uh, always a master and apprentice. Crate was like, no, we are one Sith. I rule. You're all you're all lords, but I'm the Lord, um, and you are all subservient of me. So there were hundreds of Sith. It seemed like uh, there were, and Crate you found out later had been uh, I think a character named Asad Het, who was a basically a sand person who became a Jedi. Uh, who encountered Obi-Wan on Tatooine. He got away from the Great Jedi Purge, uh, ended up on Tatooine, went with the sand, his, his people, the Sand People, encountered Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan, instead of killing him, uh, removed his mask, which is a huge uh, insult in Sand People culture, so he was abandoned. There's a huge story as to how he had survived so long. Um, but... He, he was an interesting character. And then the other really cool thing with Cade was he would have flashbacks with Force Ghost. You got Force Ghost Anakin and then gangster scary Vo- Force, Gorse- Force Ghost Vader. You got Force, Force Ghost Mara Jade, who, again, great character, um, who had a, her own shady past. And then Force Ghost Luke. R2 was there somehow because, of course, R2 is there. Um, but it, it's a really, really good read. I'd really recommend looking it up. Um, it was, there was a second one that I haven't fully read, um, that had a distant relative of the solos. Um, but like I said, I never read it. I've heard good things. So on to number four, Knights of the Old Republic and specifically Revan. So there were much like Legacy with Knights of the Old Republic it took place like thousands upon thousands of years, something like 30 or I think, yeah, like 30,000 years before the Phantom Menace, you had Knights of the Old Republic. Again, there was the Republic. There was a Sith Empire. The Jedi were losing a war and almost all but extinct and yada, yada, yada. Star Wars. Uh, but it is still a compelling game. And then its sequel, though not as good, was still great and introduced awesome gar- gangster characters like this guy, Darth Nihilus, who looks awesome. Uh, my webcam's footage is not that good, so please look him up. His, he's a very crazy, interesting character, uh, who they almost included in the Clone Wars cartoon, which would have been great. Uh, and they almost included Revan, also would have been great. Um, but the most compelling thing out of that was the character of Revan, who in the game you you are playing as, but you don't know till later. He was a Jedi, fell to the dark side, um, when after fighting in the Mandalorian war, or Mandalorian Wars, he and his eventual apprentice Malak um, went to uh, into the far edges of the known galaxy, the outside region. Um, dang it, I'm getting it wrong, but I'll, I'm going to say the outside regions. Um, I'm wrong. Please correct me. Anyways, uh, and then they found the original Sith Empire, which uh, they really, really unpack in the Old Republic MMO, um, which I'm not as into. Anyways, they come back, Sith Lords, and his whole idea is like, we are going to become, like, we're going to do this where either if the motivation behind falling to the dark side was interesting, it's like, okay, if we win, 
then we're going to be strong enough to fight the the true Sith, like the Sith Emperor, uh, and when they try to invade. If we don't, then we've made the Republic strong enough to to do this. There's so much lore from these games and great characters, um, like Bastel Bastille. Damn it, Bastila. There we go. Um, Bastila, Carthonasi, the assassin droid HK-47. Um, so good, so good. Sorry, Luna's at the window. Um, really do yourself the favor. Look up these uh, these games if you haven't played them. There is also uh, a series of movies, uh, fan films, zero profit made, but really entertaining uh, that you can look up uh, online. Uh the Knights of the Old Republic trilogy. It's really, it's really well done. Especially considering it's like, they create new footage for it, out of footage for a video game. They they do an, ex, it's, they do a great job. Um, it's not just like, hey, watch someone play a game and here's the cinematics and we'll call it a movie. No, they, they use the game, but they, they do a great job. Uh, really, look them up if you're, if you're interested. Number three is Shadows of the Empire. Shadows was my gateway into the expanded universe. So I've got a deep love for Star Wars. Uh, my father, who passed away in 99, uh, introduced it to me and my brother. It, uh, the original trilogy are the first non-cartoon movies I ever saw. Um, they, were, they made me love film. So I, I friggin' love Star Wars. And... Um, yeah, Shadows was, in third grade, I was reading at, like, a, a second grade level. Uh, and then in fourth grade, I found the book Shadows of the Empire, and it was written for high schoolers. Uh, and then suddenly I was reading at a high school level because I found books that were interesting to me. And Shadows was my gateway into the expanded universe. Um, it had crazy interesting characters like Dash Rendar! Sorry, Luna is just really going to town on the window. Um, and the new villain, Prince Shizor. Um, and it took place between Empire and Jedi. And it had a really interesting story. Um, a great Nintendo 64 game along with a, a, a better uh, computer version. Um, there was a book, a comic book, a junior novel, uh, and friggin, to friggin toys. Uh, and and the best thing from it was the score. Uh, the score is amazing. If you're a Star Wars music fan, look this up. It's uh, unless you knew it's it's like a hidden treasure. Um, Joel McNeely, I would love to see him do a proper Star Wars score. Uh, hopefully with the next trilogy. And the thing with the Shadows of the Empire was earlier I mentioned how. Friggin' uh, the Thrawn trilogy and the the Dark Empire trilogy of comics, they showed that there was an uh, the Star Wars audience would still buy. What Shadows of the Empire did was it showed that there was a wider audience beyond just Star Wars fans who were still in, because it had everything for a movie except a movie. It had all the tie-ins everything and people ate it up in droves and if shadows of the empire wasn't successful we probably wouldn't have gotten to the special editions and we probably wouldn't have gotten to the prequels lucas started writing the prequels in 94 but he wasn't sure there was still an audience for it shadows of the empire was that test 
and it passed in flying colors. Uh, that does it for Shadows of the Empire. On to number two. Sorry, I'm killing my throat doing that. Uh, number two is easily uh, what the Expanded Universe did with Palpatine and introducing Plagueis. Um, I friggin' love what they did with Palpatine. Because in the movies, uh, especially at Jedi, it was he took him from being the man behind Vader and turned him into the big bad. Um, he was just pure evil. Um, like in the movies, he's like, I am the Senate. Like it would have been fitting if he would have said, I am the dark side. Uh, he had a plan for everything. Now they showed this in the, in the movies that he was Machiavellian and, um, like planning everything. Um, or like Iago, not the, not the parrot, but the character from Othello, um, who had contingencies and everything. But in the expanded universe, it was tenfold. Um, he had a plan for everything. He had placeholder apprentices. He knew who to maneuver in and out of power to co cause conflict. He knew who to kill, who to exploit, uh, and where to have clones upon clones of yourself so your tyranny can never end. Uh, again, diminishing returns, but what you gonna do? Uh, if you want a really good example of how evil Palpatine is and just how insanely intricate and everything his plans were, uh, look no further than his Wikipedia article, the Legends version. Um, and then also Plagueis uh, was crazy interesting because um, he he's like he's the the Sith Lord who finds and then steers Palpatine. Now make no mistake, he's a bad guy. Uh, he is a Sith Lord after all, but he's not evil like Palpatine was. Um, his whole thing was manipulating midichlorians to create uh to not create life but make it so you could not die uh they hint at this in revenge of the sith and in revenge of the sith they could have just name dropped him and moved on but the the eu as it does expanded upon it and i really like what they added um he was through his midichlorian manipulation Anakin Skywalker was created. Now, that's not to say he created Anakin, but it was him and Palpatine. He had... Uh, friggin' Plagueis had killed his uh, his Sith Master. I think his name was Tenabom Tenabom or Tenabomus or something. Um, Tenabao, whatever. Uh, David Tennant. <laughs> and he... Um, he he didn't fully kill him. He kind of kept him alive, like basically in stasis. And then he would just manipulate the Medichlorians and everything so he could prolong, like, study and prolong life and all that. His eventual goal was to have Palpatine rule the galaxy with... But he would still be alive because the way of the Sith is always, like, the Apprentice eventually kills the Master. Um, but he, he didn't want that. He treated Palpatine as an equal. Uh, not from the get-go, but for a long time. And that ended up being his weakness because Palpatine's all about power and all about being in control. Uh, he is a huge part of the grand Sith scheme. And there was a scene where it's like, 
after they they did the thing with the Medichlorians and all that, uh, I can't remember what exactly they did, but there was huge disturbance in the Force, and they felt the Force react to them. Uh, I really liked that. Um, that the Force, because the Force uses people and whatever, but the Force acted itself. And I kind of liked that uh, a lot. Um, yeah, I love that they added what they added to uh, Plagueis, in, Plagueis and Palpatine in the expanded universe. And I love that they showed how just... The, the Clone Wars show, one of its greatest things is it shows how stagnant the Jedi Order had become uh, and how unaware. But then the books, uh, the expanded universe show just how much the Sith were really manipulating everything. Uh, friggin' Palpatine was taking a young Darth Maul to the Jedi Temple on a tour, like a, away from the main chamber or close enough to it where Yoda or Mace might get tipped off. But, like, walking around and pointing out to Young Maul, like, you're going to kill that guy. Like, these are our targets. You're going to get them. Um, it was really, really interesting. Uh, just how the the galaxy, in the on the whole, they had been... The Sith had been subtly manipulating events from behind the scenes. The Jedi weren't aware of their existence anymore. Um, basically, since Darth Bane, now there was one Sith who did something stupid that made the Jedi briefly aware of their existence, but it had been hundreds of years, I believe, since that, so the, the Jedi weren't aware. Uh, and the, like, it's the idea of the Force was outflowing through these two Banes, like, we've got too many people diluting its power and y'all are stupid. So two Force users using one side untapped, like, insanely strong. I love what they... Basically, I love what they did with Palpatine. Um, my number... Sorry. Number one! My number one favorite thing, though, is how it tied everything together. Um, it's, it's number one easily. There was... Uh, Lucas actually had a team specifically uh, keeping track of all the continuity. Because there's a couple different levels of continuity. It's like the movie continuity and then these. The movies can change stuff. The books, the books don't inform the movies. The movies inform the books. Um, now there was stuff that Lucas saw from the expanded universe, like Ala Secura, uh, the Twi'lek Jedi, who uh, dies in, like is briefly seen in Attack of the Clones, but is the one who gets shot repeatedly on Felucia in uh, during the Great Jedi Purge scene uh, in um, friggin' Sith. Uh, Quaylen Voss also is someone he took from uh, from the expanded universe, and it's it's really re it, oh man, EU so good, um, but like what having someone on there like having a team really kept everything in line. So then when eventual inconsistencies happened, they could be retconned easily. So originally, up until uh, the Phantom Menace came out. There was a borderline embargo being like, you cannot talk about before New Hope. You cannot talk about, like, you can reference kind of the Clone Wars, but you can't really go, you can't tell these stories because I'm going to tell them. Um, there was little stuff allowed, like I said, like mentioning the Clone Wars, like friggin' who created the Death Star and all that, which eventually again got retconned. Um, but with having this team and the ever-changing nature of it, 
they they could retcon it quickly. Um, some examples being friggin' uh, there was a book I Jedi that recru- uh, uh, retconned and corrected. Inform- it came out after at least Attack of the Clones, if not Revenge of the Sith, and then it retconned information that. Uh, stuff that we got in the Jedi Academy trilogy, which came out before The Phantom Menace. Um, then there was the Outbound Flight Project, uh, which was something... Now that is a story and a thing which, again, check out the Wikipedia article. It's really interesting. It was something briefly talked about in the Thrawn trilogy because it was tied to both the, the backstories of Jorah Seaboth and Thrawn himself. But then the later Outbound Flight novel tied it into the Sidious's plots to destroy the Jedi, and it also hints at the the upcoming Yuuzhan Vong War, that Sidious is aware of them, he doesn't want to let any secrets slip into their hands, he's heard of these great outsiders, he's aware they're coming, uh, and he doesn't want this outbound flight to slip into their hands and also he's got the opportunity to kill like 12 knights and three masters he's not going to pass that up um that was a really cool retcon because then it tied in a past story with a further past but then also with something that was coming from the future um another one was in the thrawn trilogy uh the clone wars are stated by a uh by a, a race called the the nagri um, to be a decade earlier or later, I can't remember, um, than they were it as shown in Attack of the Clones. So then what they did in the books is they revealed later that the Nagri have a different calendar than what was the standard, the Old Republic and, and then the Empire. Basically what the majority of the gal- galaxy used is their calendar, the Nagri weren't using. So Little things like that where it can be like, okay, we thought this was true, but this wasn't true. And it's not like a huge retcon. Um, they made it work very organically. Almost like as you're, as you're hearing stories, you're hearing snippets, you're hearing sides, and then you're getting the full picture. They really implemented that really, really well. Um, yeah, the thing I miss about the Expanded Universe now, it, it's happening in the current comics and that, but outside of the Darth Vader ones... I'm just not as interested. Like, I miss Star Wars where every single thing was connected. Um, the, like, Marvel's killing it on the movie front. Their shows are connected um, in, not in name only. They are, but it's they're also their isolated own thing. But this was one of the few things where a video game like a video game's plot, a book's plot, a comic book's plot was and a movie's plot, they were all related. Now granted, the movie was the thing that informed the others, but most of the time you get a movie, you get a tie-in game, you get a tie-in book, you get a tie-in comic, but the book and comic and game aren't connected. Whereas with this, you got a movie, but then the book has some the book has something that you later play. Or will expand upon something that was briefly mentioned in the book. And then the comic as well. I miss every... Like, that interconnection was outstanding. It was the fun part of being a Star Wars fan. The the expanded universe, like I said earlier, did have a lot of cheese. 
but it had a lot of really good things. Um, yeah, so thank you, dear listener, for th- taking the time to. If you're a Star Wars fan, go down that uh, go down memory lane with me. If you're not, I hope this was interesting and and really check out those Wikipedia articles. Um, yeah, I, I, I Star Wars, like I said, is my OG franchise. It's the it's my OG nerd love. Uh, it will hold a special place in my heart because my my father introduced it to me. Uh, it's what made me love film. It's what it was the first thing where I became aware of like wider world uh, that you could really latch on and sink your teeth into. Uh, really good storytelling. It's uh, heck actually heck, even toys. Uh, what uh, like this thing you can't see it very well. Is technically not canon anymore. This is an action figure with the Sebastian Shaw who originally played uh, Anakin in Return of the Jedi. Now, he still technically does. He was the cat in Vader's helmet. And then he was the Force ghost at the end of Jedi. But now the canon is is, it's Hayden Christensen's ghost. Uh, So this, it's, it's just little bits of like, through this kind of thing, you get little bits of your childhood along with uh, some really, really fun stories. Uh, all right. With all that being said, dear listener, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, if there's anything I can pray for for you, please let me know. Um, and of, as always, please uh, uh, check out, like I said earlier, Redeemed Otaku, uh, who does some great stuff with anime and also um, great biblical illustrations, great biblical talks. Um, they're, they're really good. Faith and Fandom Book 6 is out. Check that out. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I, I appreciate you guys and I'm praying for you all. And please pray for, uh, pray for me and One Cross Radio because as much as I love talking about the nerd stuff, ultimately my prayer is that God is using this, uh, using this platform and podcast to, uh, to expand his glory even through just talking about fun nonsense stuff uh as much as i love star wars in the grand scheme of things things it's anyways not not pooping on fandoms friggin love fandoms all that being said thank you for your support thank you for listening and hope you have a wonderful day and god bless my friends take care peace oh yeah Threat level midnight makes all the girlies feel all right. From Madonna to Madeline, all bright. Threat level midnight. It's a threat, a level, a level, level threat. He's the greatest hockey star I've ever seen yet. Threat level what? Midnight. Threat level who? Michael Scon. Threat level why? Apartheid. Gotta fight it, free Mandela. Peace, I'm out.